0: fucking yeah. cool jumpsuit oh, you guys yeah. wear around the yeah. pentagon
1: yeah <laughs> that's the air force navy never got to wear our flight suits in the pentagon oh, sorry right soft you spot know. navy yeah, yeah. That's uh it. little, yeah. little <laughs> down the nerves <laughs> little bit upset about this <laughs> khakis are a terrible <laughs> <you>. terrible uniform <laughs> come on
0: what's up i'm tyler sweat cue the dramatic music this is all quiet on the second front podcast where boring conversations around defense tech and national security come to die. Ready to get weird and learn some cool shit about emerging tech and the government? I thought so. Let's fucking go. This is a Soulfire Fire production. What's up, nerds? Uh, here with Sam Gray, uh, Executive Director at Silicon Valley Defense Group uh venture partner at franklin venture partners not a weird title at all pretty excited about yeah. that uh former defense innovation uh expert extraordinaire and fighter sure. pilot to jour. sure I'll, 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 I'll take
1: all of those titles yeah. are accurate
0: yeah thanks for joining us today i thanks think uh me. really interesting really interesting conversations to be had right now with a lot of the changing nature around defense tech defense as a viable industry. And you've got that sort of, that really interesting experience of being in uniform mm-hmm. and working in the Pentagon on some of the most pressing innovation challenges for some of the most well-known leaders in sort of defense innovation. Sure. to then coming out and being in both private capital and then running a nonprofit that's trying to connect all of that. So, you know, given sort of the last year's transition, we'll call it in the market. Sure. Yeah. Um, I'd be most curious to see your thoughts on kind of where we are and if some of the recent trends we think are going to hold and what what that looks like for the future sort of defense tech and investing.
1: Sure. Uh, Great question. Thanks for having me here. Um, I'd say there's some goods and bads in the last year. I mean, the first, the goods are, you know, if you had told anybody that spent a lot of time in defense investing that the largest deals of the year would have close ties to defense. You know, no one would believe you even as early as, you know, two, three years ago. Yet, 2022, the biggest deal of the year was SpaceX, a firm dual use company. And the second largest venture deal was Andrel, a straight defense play. Uh, So I think that's sort of in the good category. Uh, We also saw a record year for defense investing overall. You know, PitchBook is saying it's around $10 billion last year alone went into aerospace and defense, heavy defense focused venture deals. Historically, that's hovered in the half billion, maybe itching up to a billion dollars, started going up in nineteen twenty, but then really jumped in 21 and then 22. Uh, that's sort of where the the good news story starts to slow down a bit, is most people are feeling that that will probably be our high watermark for quite some time. And that's being driven by a couple of things. One is sort of the macroeconomic climate. Everybody can feel there is a downturn. Access to capital is harder across the entire spectrum. You know, whether it's in healthcare, traditional software investing, or defense investing, we'll probably see a significant slowdown. Uh, Most people believe that's going to hit us even harder in 12 months. Uh, So good things, bad things, but it's definitely a changing climate. Yeah. I mean, I'd be interested... You know, we talk about sort of the, the access to
0: capital, mm-hmm. right? And we've seen that, right? Like we we talked about it through sure. Second Front's most recent race. Right? right. I lived sort of what I felt was was a little bit of a sliding scale or a little bit quicksand on on what does valuation look like? What is the cost of capital? Right. You know, I would be curious is we see things like the conflict in Ukraine. Yeah. We see, you know, the balloons. And I recognize like there's a lot of jokes around it, but the balloons creates another little surface. And yeah we see Congress taking a more direct stance towards countering China and really doubling down on what has traditionally maybe been talked about and been small policy things, but actually starting to put capital against it. Do you think that has any upward pressure on valuations in defense tech, on the value of a dollar of defense to a VC? Because we've had that conversation where, you know, defense dollars are getting- Defense revenue dollars. Yeah, Yeah, defense defense dollars are getting Mm -hmm. discounted by commercial VCs because they don't look like Right. ARR, they don't look like a subscription. They're lumpy. There's complicated contracts. Sure. Yeah, what's that? Well, like?
1: so I'll tackle that fir- that last piece first. Um, I think there's still a lot of drag on defense dollars. I think the vast majority of VCs have no real understanding of the defense market. Even the VCs that spend all their time in the defense market don't really Can't understand. say that too loud on Twitter. <laughs> You're going to kill some brands. It's, it's a very complicated, irrational system of how we contract things inside DOD. And no matter what you say, it's still slow, yeah. right? It's still a slow process. Uh, and then there's political aspects that go into it as well, just making it even more complex. So I don't think we're ever gonna get to the point where defense dollars or federal dollars are seen as better than commercial dollars. I mean, that's a pretty ones and zero statement, but you know, in in reality, the best companies and the best investors leverage government dollars to be an add-on or something that can help you when you are pre-revenue, particularly if you're in a you know, capital-intensive, long-duration deep tech, if you're talking quantum computing or space, things that are going to take a while before you have any semblance of revenue, defense dollars or federal dollars can come in a lot earlier. That can be very beneficial. Uh, you probably want to go in. What was your first question on this? You're looking at um, thinking about valuation,
0: right? Yeah. The access to capital, the recession that we're not allowed to call a recession, right? And you know, what does that what does that mean for valuations so in private markets? Yeah. And I'll add on a little bit as we're seeing a continual bloodbath in right. growth markets. Sure. You know, even Palantir didn't jump. I think as much as I would have expected for for, for what, revenue yeah, for the first like, time like ever, like yeah. yeah, Profitability, first time. yeah. Sorry, yeah.
1: profitability for the first time. Yeah, you're right. Um, so I think you're going to continue to see the majority of valuations decline. And the reality was there was just so much free capital available that everybody was getting these insane valuations and people didn't really care because you were going to be able to do that next round. You could jump up. I think we're going to see a change in that across the entire spectrum, defense just being one of those. Uh, there, There's some goods and bads that come with that. I mean. It used to be that if you had a down round or even a flat round, you were basically on life support. And I think that's going to go away. There will Flats be the new up, right? A, that's right. Yeah. I think there's going to be some expectation that companies will have this and that some of them have to tighten their belt. Laying off people is not going to be seen as like a death sentence anymore. You know, restructuring pivoting will be viewed probably a lot kinder going forward. Uh, and then from the investor standpoint. It's really hard. Like you still have to get into the best deals, and those companies are going to still get the premium valuations. There's fewer of those. I see there being fewer of those going forward. And then for all kind of the tier one A and below deals, it just helps most of the investors to just wait and let that valuation, you know, let the climate get back to what I was talking about. Yeah. So you know, we talk about the the outlandish valuations, uh, you know, and that that
0: sort of, you know, right. TJ and I at work sort of have a running joke about like $0 interest and like what behaviors that sort of led to, because everything was free and nothing cost anything on the flip side of that. Right. As we talk about valuations going up, we also saw a rise of the VC where it was like rabbits and I couldn't turn a corner without seeing a new fund and a new VC. And it like became cool, like a, a weird brand thing. Right. To be a VC. Whereas like, VC work is serious work for serious people, if done yeah. correctly. Yeah. I so mean, it reconciled me <laughs> from that side of like the rise of what at surface level- Right. Look like good investors. Sure. But might be-
1: Yeah, I think- Not what,
0: around or terrible investors.
1: Correct. I think- Terrible is a strong I, word. So. I think we saw a lot of first-time funds get very large first-time funds, yeah. which is extremely rare. And sometimes without sort of the pedigree that you would expect folks yeah. to have. I mean the traditional path to vc if you're not you know coming from the finance world i mean there's a pathway where you just go grind it out on the investment banking side in your 20s and go blind on spreadsheets that's one model the other one is to be a successful a good old entrepreneur days, man. right be
0: classically trained yeah
1: and then you know there are the entrepreneurs that have a successful exit want you know have this incredible network including investors limited partners that will invest in them and then their friends who are starting other companies those make very good VCs traditionally. So you see a couple of those, but you also see sort of these folks coming out of just straight defense. And frankly, I'm a little bit one of these as well, where I just kind of got exposure to this world and then found an opportunity to join a team. Now I'm very low level on my team. And there's others where, you know, the founder is, doesn't really have anything beyond maybe some angel investing and a strong network. And they were raising $50 million funds, bigger than that. Um, And I think, One of the funniest things to me here is there is this glamorous view of VC that it's, you know, you you like to make fun of all the VCs, but like that you just get to kind of hang out. You can never run companies who want to tell me how to run mine. I love it. It's great. Only in venture
0: capital can that literally be your
1: job. (laughs) Right. I mean, if you're the one handing out checks, you kind of get it. I will take it. it. Yeah. If the check size is right, they got to be happy Gilmore checks, though. But I think what a lot of people don't realize is the economics behind venture actually aren't all that great Correct. when you're starting, particularly starting out small. Like a $50 million fund has to run that fund traditionally off of a million dollars a year to run the entire program. That includes legal fees, travel, yeah. any pay if you are paying yourself. So and that is, part right there, I don't think a lot of people
0: realize I don't think either. so either. Like
1: either. it it is really there is a startup aspect to it. Right. In the early days. I think the folks actually Starting the funds, the true GPs—they really understand this because they've had to do the math and they've looked at this. And they, you know, when you go and you ask for money, you have to explain what your limited partner agreement, your LPA, is going to look like. I think it's the folks that are trying to get in. They see these funds and they're like, "Oh, these guys raised a hundred million. I'd love to go join them." I'm like they have seven people on their team. They're running that off two million dollars a year. Like they're not adding any be- people to that team, yeah. and they're probably not paying all of those people like significant wages. And so. it's also not the not the VC on Twitter that you see that's like in Miami at a party right? and
0: then in San Fran meeting with founders at some right. nice, like you've got to sort of punch your tickets to get there.
1: Yeah. I mean, it's a lot of work. You have to actually do, you know, you kiss a lot of frogs to, yep. to get through to those companies you really, really want to invest in. So it takes a long time of meeting and it's hard too. telling companies you don't want to invest in them is, is not a fun job. Well, most of them just don't say no. So they just the other go of being a yeah. VC. Yeah. yeah you like just being stop. Yeah. Right. Yeah, you do. I mean, one thing particularly like where where, you know, the team I'm on, we invest Series B in later. So we tend to never burn bridges when we can avoid it, right? Like we wanna keep those connections going. We wanna see them be successful. Well, and even game. ghosting isn't really a burn bridge. It's a little bit of showbiz, right? Like it is. Oh, if absolutely. you
0: don't understand that as a founder or a fundraiser, I think you're doing yourself a disservice. Absolutely. For every cool pitch I think I'm giving you, you're getting fifty others that day. Right. Cold, warm. Yeah. All over the place. And
1: everybody's dealing with the same problems. So yeah. You know, I'm contacting people on email, LinkedIn, texts, yes. Slack. I mean, it's just this deluge of information all the time. Trying to keep up with that is near impossible. All right. So we talk and I'm working my way towards
0: you sharing a little bit about SVDG. And sort of where they sit. But we've gone through sort of the the private capital. We've mm-hmm. gone through sort of the startup side. But I want to talk about the government a little bit. Absolutely. Um, I think you and I have have given our best years to national security and are quite passionate about it. Yes. Um I think a part of me dies every time I see DOD or the broader government just completely fumble right. which should be a runaway touchdown in innovation or like actually bridging the gap between emerging tech you know with so much talk around valleys of death mm-hmm. and the like really cyclical nature of key political sort of appointees talking about like What's, what's your outlook? Like, are you confident our ability to actually deal with sort of near peer type stuff to really scale some tech? Sure. It
1: depends on what day of the week it is. It's like, it's, it's like, (laughs) you know, peaks and valleys in like a by the minute phase. Uh, there are moments where I'm super excited. I get all these indicators that like, this is the time DOD and Congress is really going to get it right. And the investor community and the entrepreneurial community are all coming together and I get super excited. And like five minutes later, I see something that, just like you said, just kind of like crushes my soul. And like, we completely missed the boat on this. Um, So it's a big system. So there's going to be ups and downs all over it. I will say, so the Silicon Valley Defense Group, we are a 501c3 nonprofit. The goal is to be a connector to all sides of this equation. And on the industry side, that's everything from the proverbial two folks in a garage, all the way up to the largest tech and defense companies, because we think, that entire spectrum is important. We bias heavily into sort of the mid-stage venture space, just because we can really target those companies, and you can really identify We're big those. enough to be real. You can sort of put a exactly. little weight behind it, exactly. Right? Like, right. You know, how much can we really help to folks in it? You want to get them to the door, get them through the door. Sure. Yeah. And then uh, on the government side, it's everything from the end user to you know POTUS, but we heavily bias towards the policymakers. That's yeah. political appointees in the Pentagon, senior defense in uniform and then Congress. Um, And then the last part is the venture community. So there are those VCs we already talked about that are hyper-focused on defense. They really understand it. We largely support that community first. We also spend some time trying to bring in new investors and kind of educating more traditional VCs that haven't previously seen this as a good market. So that's really SVDG's role in this space. As far as like what we see on the government side, I mean, we bounced around like the origin story. The group goes back to sitting down with Senator John McCain in 2015, shortly after he had seen SpaceX and saying, how do we do this like 10 more times? How do we get private capital to just build this massive organization? So we spent a lot of time in Congress. Are we calling Andrel one of those or are we saying we've done it zero times so far? Well, I'd say you could do the real pot. You could definitely say SpaceX is a win. Palantir is a win. They've IPO. They're in the public markets. They're now profitable. Profitable. Um, And then there's some like very close followers to that. I think there's some other defense unicorns. Uh, A lot of folks call them the Sharpies, right? Um, So... Uh, on the government side, we bounce back and forth. You mentioned it earlier. I had the opportunity to work for Hondo Gertz. Uh, I worked for Ellen Lord before that. I think both of them did a phenomenal job really okay. pushing for change. Will Roper's in that category. Mike Brown at DIU.
0: Will Roper just launched a new I saw new CEO of a new yeah.
1: uh, Eric Schmidt-backed company. Yep. So still out there in the fray. Um, and then, you know, Raj Shah. Like, there's just, there was just a strong cohort of people inside government pushing for that. Right now, we've actually seen it get a lot quieter on that side. Yeah. So at SVDG, we kind of are opportunistic, and we just pivot to where we can get the pressure. And right now, the house primarily seems to be that's the place that's coming from. Now, the nice thing is it's both authorizers and appropriators, yep. which we haven't had a lot of push from some of those folks before. So it's been really good to see some of the language coming out, like AppFit, which was the Warfighter Innovation Fund. Almost filling a gap in the Pentagon right now. And I mean, I hate to say the quiet part out
0: loud, but it's underwhelming. I,
1: I would agree 100% with that. Yeah, I think there are some folks that are trying to do it, but they're also getting pushed down by a thousand other requirements yeah. that they have to go look at, little yeah. R requirements.
0: Um, you know, what do you tell, you, you reference sort of the set of investors who are, who are like all, all in as a sort of throwaway term, but who are committed and who are educated right. about defense and because one of the biggest complaints we've seen all the time is, mm-hmm. hey, I raised this capital. I came into defense. My capital doesn't understand the market. They don't understand that I need security clearances or I need accreditation or I need Mm -hmm. whatever it may be. Sure. And I'm getting shrieked at by my board. Right. How does startup, say mid-stage, right? Seed A, how do they find this group of investors sort of we're talking about? Because there's a lot of noise out there and the signals are increasingly elusive. Right. And as you see them both on the venture side Mm -hmm. and on sort of defense. What advice would you have for them like how can they be best prepared to stand out among that that real select cohort of like one 1a defense investors
1: yeah i'd say the biggest thing is share your portfolio who you're working with and let them do the talking for you yeah. get your portcos out there saying like you know i i was talking with a company uh that was telling me about one of their investors and saying how many doors they open for them right because you know, VCs shouldn't just be writing a check and then disappearing, right? That isn't actually the model. They should be opening up their network, helping the companies, particularly when you start getting to growth stage, how do you bring in that professional C-suite that's going to elevate your company that's going to bring in, eventually you have to go into the public markets yep. hopefully, yep. right? Like, so how do you build the team that does that? So you're, you're, your, your, your VC should be doing that work with you. And the more that can come from the existing port the better off you are. So, um, I mean, there's ways to share that. Some people do it on Twitter. Some people do it on podcasts. Some people do it at conferences. Yep. Um, but I think it's still a relatively small cohort of, of companies really doing this. I mean, at the bigger size, you know, there's ABC, Founders Fund, Lux, Andreessen. Uh, it's just an article out. It looks like General Catalyst is really getting involved. Like really in getting. Really yeah. getting back in. Yeah. I was is, pretty excited to see that article. Yeah, it's, it's yeah. phenomenal. And there are others in they there I have it on well. my bingo card for 20 No, no, it was- uh had aliens yeah. though, which right. is good. And so I got so the balloons. So you're winning yeah. that one? I'm up one. It's a huge win. Yeah. It's, um,
0: you know, as we talk about Silicon Valley Defense Group and sort mm. of your convening capability and where you sit, right? I'd almost want to hear, you know, as you look forward 12 months, Yeah, what's success? What is, what does it look like? You know, we're, we're doing a dinner tomorrow night. Right. Right. Give me that 12 months down the road. Hopefully some of these wins on the Hill. What's that really start to look like? What's the best case? What's the worst case?
1: Yeah. So I think one of the big areas that a lot of people have focused is around SBIR. Uh, I actually don't spend a lot of time thinking about SBIR. I think there's some quick, easy fixes they could do, do with that, but it's such a politicized and like sort of um messy program and it's also not designed for the startup community not at <laughs> very all. clear but not, not one day. It is the you know it is run by the small business administration not the startup business administration yep. so the three to four billion dollars a year that goes out of sbir if we can get anything good into sort of the the high growth rapid startup phase uh that's a huge win what i think we have the opportunity to do in the next 12 months is leverage some of the existing things that they've been putting together in the Pentagon and on Capitol Hill in the last 12 to 24 months and target that into not just SBIR, but all those dollars and that big funnel at the beginning. Yeah. So like expand AppFit beyond the $150 million that it is now into 500, even a billion dollars that we can really target that. Use the new office of strategic capital to train up a, a it, small- it capital? Give it capital, give it authority, It doesn't Crazy content. Yeah, although I do actually think the model of building the office first and giving time to come up with exactly what those authorities and how much money should be there, as opposed to the reverse, which DoD loves to do, which is go behind the wall, build this perfect model, and then come out and be like... Trusted, but not strategic capital. Exactly, right. <laughs> and, yeah. Hey, industry, it we have a solution. Right, and it Fuck. took, you know, no, no plan survives first contact, oh, right? Man. So. Didn't uh, even get to contact. No, not even that close. That terrible. So I think uh, there's real opportunity to use a bunch of these tools, use the existing structure of DIU, which has a lot of relationships yep. in the Valley, in Chicago, in Austin, Boston. You know, how do we take all those things and target kind of that giant funnel that some of the early innovation groups have created yep. And how do we leverage that to get companies to scale rapidly and actually start producing things? Yeah. Um,
0: all right, we're gonna do two more quick questions and okay. then uh, wrap it up. One is a little bit of a doozy, but we're gonna see, see where this goes. All right. Uh, all right, so it's no secret now, I think it was a secret maybe a month or two ago that uh, Congress is again, taking a pretty hard look at a DoD variant of inca mm-hmm. Right, DoD's ability to invest, You know, we've all had the conversations with the OSC team, what that looks like. Right. Uh, I'd be interested in your thoughts on that. And if you think that it is in the best interests of private companies
1: to to sort of have the government on their cap table and what the implications could be for that. Sure. Uh, So I'll tackle them in order. Uh, One, I think absolutely hands down the DoD needs to have some form of you know, an investment arm that can play in this space. And there's Tempest no, scale a little bit. there's no free rides, right? Yep. You can't just keep showing up to all of these events, talking a good game about how eventually there'll be contracts down the road. Like you have to put money to work. Yeah. And the idea that DoD should just be a better customer. You're talking, I mean, by definition, you're investing in companies that can't produce revenue yet in the early stages of venture. Like that is one of the core models. If they could just sell their stuff, they would just sell it, right? Yeah. Like. There is a particularly again in those deep tech, capital-intensive things like space, like yeah. you can't DOD doesn't do forward contracts, right? They it's very difficult for them to do that. There are some exceptions, but that is extremely difficult for them. So I think they do need to have an arm that does things yep. like this. One of the issues is there's a lot of people that either love or hate In There's actually not a lot of like wiggle room in the middle. I've uh, been instructed to not speak on InQtel since. Because you have opinions, I will get myself in <laughs> fucking trouble. Well, I will say, you know, just like anything in life, like what is what is the replacement that you have? If you don't like that model, that's fine. Tell me what model yeah. you like. IncuTel's been going for over twenty years now, it's and they've res- been transformative. Like it's respected in the investor community. Yeah. We know what that signal means when we see IncuTel is on there. Now we don't say, okay, this is it. They're on the pathway. They're guaranteed for a work program. They're going right. to scale. Yeah. Right, but I also think DoD needs to think about this a little bit like the corporate venture capital world.
0: You it's. took it exact. I was going to ask the follow up was the next question or after this is going to be okay. Walk me through right the SIs and the primes, CVCs, and like I mean, it's an Chris un- Moran be this instead it's, of
1: it's a fantastic model to look at, and it lines up more with what DoD wants because yeah. corporate venture capital, yes, they usually have some type of finance, you know, financial goal, but their main goal is strategic it's a mission.
0: Yeah, it's it is. Straight-
1: what is it? Do they need to build, you know, a system five years, ten years from now? What technologies need to be advanced? Capability transition, if it's done correctly. Yeah, and you, and basically, you know, Lockheed Martin, who has a phenomenal corporate venture capital arm that's very well respected, like they get to see all sides of it. They get to use the entire, you know, structure of, of Lockheed Martin to yep. go say, what is it that we are struggling? What gaps do we have in future programs? and who out there is working on that, that we could help that company go along. It's very different than mergers and acquisitions and this whole idea of we should just go buy that company. That company doesn't have what they want yet. They need to invest in them. Again, what I talked about earlier, like good VCs, they need to foster what they do. And they can be a customer. They basically get to be a customer for a company that they are investing. Yeah, they set some great conditions. Yeah, so I mean, if you look like, SAIC has a team doing this. Uh, L3 outsourced some of theirs to Shield Capital. Um, you've got, you know, just, Booz just, just announced their $100 million rocking, dollar fund. Yeah. You've got Raytheon. Double Raytheon.
0: Yeah, yeah. Airbus Ventures. Yeah. Yep. You've got a ton of that. Yeah, I mean, that's where I'm most interested is I don't think it needs to be an either or, right? I think that's that's where I get concerned Yeah, when they're like, DoD should. And I'm like, okay, well, DoD kind of already does because you mandate like what IRAD and a bunch of c can do Why wouldn't I take that one step further, bring it through professionals that have it already incubated essentially in PEOs? Sure. If I'm doing it through the primes.
1: Yeah. Then I don't have this weird disconnect. Yeah. I think there is a piece of um, you need to have people that speak this language. And that's what the CVCs do for that. And, you know, CVCs are definitely not in defense. The really you know big, big ones are out at Google and Amazon and like. So you need people that speak the investor language that live in that, you know, the heart of that. Usually you need a body in Silicon Valley because that's the bulk of where investment is done. But you need somebody who plays that translator role. And I think DOD needs exactly that. It's what InQtel 1st and foremost does is plays that, you know, that translator. They're they're taking, you know, the information that's coming out of the intelligence community, translating it into a way they can share publicly and then vice versa. They're out there looking at things and then figuring out how can we pipe that into our community why DOD doesn't have this at this point is stunning. it is. I mean, I, and I think it's all signs are that that will change.
0: Yeah. It looks, I mean, it's,
1: it's getting increasingly
0: loud. So we're going to go last question here. Um, so I always sort of talk about, Hey, I'm doing all these steps in order to set conditions to kind of like get to do what I actually want to do for Mm -hmm. the rest of my life. Not that I don't love national security tech. It's awesome. Come do it. Um, right for me, it's, you know, I want a big old backyard. Yeah. somewhere with a river and an outdoor kitchen and a place for the dogs to run and shoot some guns and pretty simple yeah right what's that for you what's what's the end of the road when you're like hey i did it i can hang the uh whatever a pilot hangs up i don't know a helmet probably Spurs? sure i did um, i literally really?
1: yeah i literally hung a helmet fucking in my cool office, jumpsuit so, you guys yeah, wear around yeah, the pentagon yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's the air force navy never got to wear our flight suits in the pentagon oh, sorry right soft spot know. Navy, yeah, yeah. It's uh, a little, yeah. little <laughs> found the A little bit upset about this. <laughs> Khakis are a terrible <laughs> uniform. Terrible uniform. Come on.
0: Yeah, what's, uh, what's that look like for you, though? Where are you? The end, you know, you declare yeah. victory, we ring the bell. Right. Where's Chubbs, Chubbs go?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think one of the reasons I'm doing what I'm doing is I, I love the 21 years I spent in the Navy. I love flying. I thought that was great. But by the end of it, I really was looking at this and saying, I think the direction of very traditional conventional arms is is not where I want to spend my time. So I I love what I'm building right now, but at the same time, it is building. It takes yeah. a ton of time and energy to take a group from, you know, nothing, just some good advisors and people, you know, the founders of SVDG, but no structure, no, no staff, no funding, you know, building that and making that a sustainable organization where I can sort of back off to the point where I just do this instead yeah. of all the other grind. Uh, that's probably like, my nearer term goal uh you know long term i don't think i ever want to stop doing some of these things like both of my grandfathers both world war ii veterans uh both ended up being lawyers both sort of worked in government in different ways later in life they never stopped you know they retired but they were doing pro bono work they still did the things that they were super passionate about you know and i that's kind of the way i see myself my my parents are both writers there's no end to being a writer you can just kind of keep doing yeah. it so i don't have sort of that like retire to a farm in ohio type uh plan um but i would like to get to the point where it's really just sort of like doing the things i truly love without maybe all of the day-to-day grind
0: yeah no that's fair and i mean to your point i think uh think i talk a good game about stopping i think my wife would point out that she believes i can never stop yeah right so yeah but yeah but hey look got to the end here this is a pleasure Didn- didn't swear too much i don't no. think we offended anybody no, I I fucking yeah, yeah. Dude, yeah. nail
1: it. now we got the quota
0: <laughs> uh, i want to thank sam look i know you're busy i love what's happening in silicon Valley defense group Um, have followed your career as a friend and a fan and a a champion of your success. So yeah, thanks for taking the time, brother. Thanks for
1: having me. This is awesome. I hope you do a whole lot more of these.
0: Heck yeah. All right. Thanks, Thanks, everybody. Wow, look at you. You made it to the end. Thanks for listening. Hope you learned something. Don't forget to leave a passive-aggressive review. It wouldn't be a podcast without some show notes. So check them out to learn more about me, Second Front. Stay weird.